0: Well, good morning, it's great to have a few more folks out here this morning, especially I think it helped having a children's ministry open up to some degree, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here today, and I'm also glad that so many are joining us via live stream, not only in our community, but uh, there's people from the United States, the Middle East, around the world are actually tuning into the services, and so that's kind of exciting. We're reaching out beyond our sphere of influence here to actually grow a greater sphere of influence. So let's pray this morning. Let's stand. Uh, I'm going to speak on a very challenging topic this morning. I hope that uh, you you don't just tune me out because you're not married. I believe that if you learn what I'm going to share today, it's going to make you a very attractive person. You're going to have healthier relationships with people, even beyond marriage. Isn't that great? How many think that's awesome? How many would like to become a more dynamic person? How many would like to have a greater impact and an influence in people's lives? Amen. So let's pray. So Father, I just thank you this morning that you're going to do amazing uh, heart work. Uh, Lord, as we gather here this morning, we're here to worship you, but we're also in that worship expression, Lord. Not only do we sing your praises, but Lord, we open our hearts to hear your voice through the word of the Lord. And I ask today that you would speak into each of our lives, and that as we leave this place, uh, we will have heard from you, we will have been given tools and skills, which is what wisdom is all about, in order to incorporate these things into our lives to make us far more influential and impactful in the culture around us, and particularly in our homes. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You know, a number of years ago, I read this cute story about Susie, who was four, and she had just been told Snow White for the very first time. She could hardly wait to get home from her nursery school to tell her mom. And with wide-eyed excitement, she began to retell the story to her mother that afternoon. And after relating how Prince Charming had arrived on his beautiful white horse and kissed Snow White back to life, Susie exclaimed with great enthusiasm, and do you know what happened then? And her mother said, yes, they lived happily ever after. She goes, no! She said, they got married. (laughs) So in her childlike innocence, this little nursery preschooler spoke the in-depth truth without realizing that getting married... And living happily ever after are not necessarily (laughs) synonymous terms, right? As a matter of fact, getting married and living happily ever after are not uh, seen that way. A cynic once observed, all marriages are happy. It's the living together afterwards that causes all the trouble. So, you know, basically what is he saying? (laughs) That learning how to live with someone different than ourselves can create uh, levels of challenge. How many know we're living in a day and age where relationships are struggling? We really are. And and we see it. We see, you know, people have different viewpoints, and you can see people actually will come to a place of conflict, argumentation, uh, brokenness, division, factions. Anybody notice that? That happens in marriages. It happens uh, people who are polarized politically. We see this happening all around our world. And yet the most challenging but also by far the most rewarding relationship is marriage. It's the foundation of a society. It's the place where a new new generation is being born and developed. It's the place where values are being imputed into the lives of children. It's one of God's greatest tools to shape our lives. And it becomes the most profound example of what it means to be in a relationship with God. It's interesting that both in the Old and in the New Testament, we see that marriage is probably the key metaphor to help us understand our relationship with him. As a matter of fact, when we read that text in Ephesians chapter 5 that we always take as deeming something to having to do with marriage, Paul is really talking about our relationship with God and marriage is just the picture that God uses on earth to explain this oneness that we can have with him. Marriage is the place where you and I can learn to pour out our lives for another. is that an amazing concept? You know, I have just had such an epiphany of late, you know. So often as Christians, we come to God and we say, Lord, fill my cup. And what God is challenging us to do is pour our lives out. Isn't that fascinating? You know, so many of us, we, all we want is more. And God says the way to get more is to give up and pour out and allow ourselves to become channels of his amazing love and grace to others. I believe that it's a place where our capacity to increase develops as we not only find someone other than ourselves and we learn to live in a marriage relationship, but then children come along, and how many know that's another opportunity to pour your life out at an even deeper level? And all of this is to help us, designed by God, to bring us to a place of maturity in our lives. And yet, also, it's the relationship where we are the most exposed and vulnerable, it's the place of greatest joys but also the place of greatest pain. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It, all of those things are happening in one location. So how can we make this critical relationship not only work but actually thrive? That's a great question. How can we build healthy loving marriages? And I think the best place to turn to is the operator's manual. How many of you have ever bought something and you have this operator's manual and the first thing most guys do is they throw the manual away and start working on the function and all of a sudden they realize I did something wrong because it's not working. And that's a lot of times what happens in marriages. You know, you and I grow up in a family, and we don't realize it, but our families are all affected by sin. And so there's, you know, psychologists will call it dysfunction. I'll just call it sin. Let's just call it what the Bible does. And because we have a nature of sin and we have a little bit of selfishness, it erodes our relationship. And every once in a while we're going, it's not working. And I'm going to just bring us back to the operator manual. I'm going to bring us back to this book that's a blueprint for how to build healthy relationships and healthy marriages. I'm going to talk today about what makes people attractive. And I'm going to tell you, it's a lot different than what our culture thinks. Because we are so locked into, you know, if we can just have the right look. You know, if we, if we look good on the outside, then we're attractive. Folks, I want you to know there's a lot of attractive people, but they're messed up on the inside, and they're not so attractive. So we're going to take a look at what makes a person attractive. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, we gain an amazing blueprint in how to make marriage the way it ought to be. And it gives instructions both to wives and to husbands. And I think, you know, the husband's instruction is very succinct, one line. I don't know if that's because we, we have a harder time getting it, but anyways, the point is it's going to be really directed today at two groups of people. If you're a wife and you're a husband, this is going to speak directly to you, but I believe it can help you even if you're not married. It can help you to, to discover what does it take to be married. It's also going to help you if you never decide to get married, which is an option, which is okay. That's not a bad thing, but it's going to help you have skills to become a better person relating to others. Let's pick up this uh, blueprint here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word. see, you know, he's creating a context. You know, these instructions are actually to people who are actually in a difficult situation. They're, they're, in the, they're in a, connected to a person who's not in agreement with them on a very important level. If any of you, uh, it says, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way be considered as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I'm going to look at just two points today, two keys to having a healthy marriage. And the first one is a submissive attitude. Now, what we need to understand is the voluntary nature of what is being said here. Does everybody see that? He's telling them, you need to submit to your husbands. Now, how many know submitting is the very opposite of self-assertion and the demanding of our rights? How many know that's the opposite of that? Totally the opposite of that. You know, Walls and, uh, and Anders in their commentary on Peter said, it involves being satisfied at times with less than what one may deserve or claim as a right. Wow, that's a powerful statement. Then he goes on here to talk about uh, this idea of cultivating an inward beauty, which the Bible says is extremely attractive. And it's, it's, a, it's a description of the heart development. And I would even argue that, you know, even as guys, we need to learn how to do this. We need to cultivate something on the inside. This is what God is interested in. Because, you know, if you're going to see transformation in your life, it doesn't come from something on the outside. It comes from within. God wants to change every one of our lives from the inside out. It's a transformation that's coming from a renewing of our minds, which includes our emotions, our affections, our our will, all of those elements. The heart is comprised of all of those things and here it's expressed in a relationship of an attitude of submission it's a voluntary thing and we're going to find out that submission is such so, such a powerful thing it's not like oh i'm going to do the right thing even though inside i'm churning up you know it's kind of like the story that uh, patty shared with me years ago when she was teaching sunday school she had these little you know, priest. I think it was kindergarten kids, and and uh, she told them to sit down. and, the, and uh, the one little girl sat down, but she heard her speaking out loud. How many know? Sometimes people's inside voice comes outside, and her little outside voice says, "I may be sitting on the inside, but I'm standing on the outside." So, in other words, she was conforming to the rule, but she was not submissive. You see, because the attitude's not there. She was obeying, but she was not, in a sense moving in the right direction. She, she was resisting what was being said. I think we're living in a culture of great superficialness. How many say that's true? It's all focused on the outside. It's all about externals. So what, what makes for healthy long-term relationships, what's happening on the inside of a person? A gentle and quiet spirit, I'm going to argue, is persuasive and attractive and can only come from a person who's absolutely confident that God is ultimately in control. How many see that? You know, I think what's happening in our worlds a lot is that we have been taught so long that we have to take the bull by the horns and do it. Isn't that true? And so we rush in, and we try to change things, and so we often find ourselves manipulating situations, and in the process, manipulating people. And yet... This is the very antithesis, the very opposite of what God wants to have happen in our lives. So, what does submission mean? Well, in the Greek lexicon, it is the Greek word hypotasso, and it literally means to subordinate our rights. All conflict in life, this is going to shock you maybe, but conflict, whenever you see conflict, it's about who's in control, who's gonna, who has the right to do what. And conflict is over that. It's over, you know, I got to have my way. We are living in an hour, I think that we're struggling with conflict. And people are angry. And we're seeing violence today. People demanding their rights. And yet the Christian message and the example is one of laying aside our rights. As a matter of fact, if I'm going to be more like Jesus, which isn't that kind of the goal of the Christian life? I mean, isn't that what the Father desires of us, that you and I be conformed into the image of his Son? When I become more Christ-like, what it means is that I'm yielding myself, I'm laying aside my rights. As a matter of fact, I love Philippians chapter 2 because it explains what true humility is, what, what the true nature of the person of Jesus says. He's, you know, not, not being He didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. But he laid aside his divine prerogatives. How many know it was a big thing for Jesus to come out of heaven? You know, he was God, he could do everything. He was all-powerful, all-knowing. He could be everywhere present at one time. He had to lay all of those divine attributes aside in order to be at one place at one time. And listen to how he submitted himself. He became a human being. He literally was born into this world as a helpless baby. How many think that's an amazing thing? The all-powerful God, now born as a helpless baby, excuse me, dependent upon his creation. How many think that's kind of a far drop for God? He's yielding himself. And then he says, and you became obedient even to the place where he yielded his will and said, Father, I'm going to do your will because this is what it takes to save humanity. I'm going to lay myself down and I'm going to die a shameful death as a criminal hanging on a cross and be totally misunderstood and despised and be treated totally unjustly just in order to win this world back to ourselves. How many think that's an amazing thing? So he was not, how many say Jesus was not exercising his rights? Everybody see that? And so when you and I say, you know what, yes, I have rights, but I'm going to lay them aside for a greater cause. I'm going to lay them aside to be more Christ-like. I'm going to lay them aside for the sake of a relationship. I'm going to lay my rights aside so, in order to bring ha- harmony into our family. There's, there's just so many powerful things and so many benefits doing that. But look at Peter, he describes three areas of submission that will enrich a marriage relationship. And the first area is seen in the behavior of wives. You know, it's one thing to submit to a loving, understanding spouse. That's a lot easier. But Peter takes the most challenging situation. Here they are, now having to submit to someone who's not even even inconsistent with their uh, religious faith. And probably what was happening was women were becoming Christians in a pagan society in Peter's day. And <clears throat> Peter says, this is the way you have to handle the situation. He's giving them instruction. Uh, he says, I, I don't want you to behave like you used to behave. You know, you know, like there's a movie, uh, My, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. How many know that, st- that movie? You know, where, where the mother says to the daughter, don't worry about what the dad says. He may be the head, but I'm the neck, you know. I make the head turn whatever way it needs to go. You know, how many know that that's funny, but it's just what she's basically saying is I can manipulate your dad. And everyone laughs at that. And, you know, I'm I'm really the power behind the whole thing. And yet Peter's saying wrong way of looking at it. That's an anti-submissive statement. That's what we're hearing there. Uh, But how many know... Sometimes, you know, wives are saying something wise to their husband, and the husband doesn't want to listen. So what does a wife do usually? She amps it up. You know, one of the temptations is, you know, they develop what I call the fine art of nagging. You know? And it doesn't work, ladies. And the reason that this method is so ineffective in seeing change occur in one's spouse is that's primarily a message of rejection. I don't like the way you are, and I don't like the way you do things. It's just not healthy. Secondly, nagging does not factor in the nature of men. One of the greatest needs of a husband is for their wives to respect them. That's, that's really a powerful need, and they need this affirmation. You know, I, I find that most people are, they, we all have measures of insecurity in our life. Well, let's just be upfront about that. And so, you know, if you're going to attack people's personhood, you're not going to get the best response out of people. You know, encouragement and affirmation goes a lot further than a lot of criticism does. I believe in correction. Don't misunderstand me. And I think, you know, as we're going to study in the book of Proverbs in weeks ahead here, you know, correction, people who cannot receive correction are not very wise. But you can't just keep feeding people a steady diet of correction, correction, correction without affirmation. Otherwise, that person's going to start wilting on the inside. That's the way it works out. So, ladies, I want to help you out here. You say, well, you know, pastor, I just don't know how to get through to this guy. He's just not listening. I cannot seem to get him to understand. How many would like to learn a skill? Anybody here up for learning? How many want some skills in your toolbox? Anybody here for that? I'm going to give you a biblical skill, ladies. This is going to help you. Listen, I was reading this uh, proverb, because I'm studying on Proverbs, and I was reading this beautiful proverb, Proverb 25, 15. Okay, It says, through patience, a ruler or a leader or the husband who Peter's saying in this sense is given leadership responsibilities can be persuaded. So how do you persuade him? And and he, and he goes on to say, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Now that's a very intriguing proverb. What in the world is he talking about? A gentle tongue can break the bone. Well, Old Testament scholar Dwayne Garrett says the bones are actually the most rigid part of our bodies inside of us. That's what's holding us up. You know, we got a lot of other things going, muscle and all the rest. But bones are what's keeping a structure, right? And here it says, with a gentle word, it's so powerful, it can actually uh, break down the deepest and most hardened resistance to an idea a person may possess. You know, how many know that when somebody... This is usually what happens in a a situation. How do arguments develop? Nobody's willing to back down, and it just gets revved up, and it goes to a higher level. We just amp up, right? And at the end of the argument, who usually wins? Nobody. Nobody's winning. So instead of doing that, sometimes the best thing to do is pull back. You know, a gentle answer, it says, turns away wrath. Anger. A gentle answer turns away anger. You know, so instead of, you know, amping it up, why don't we bring her down? Why don't we use gentleness and grace? Why don't we say, hey, maybe we're not ready to discuss this right now, or let's just take a time out and come back to this, or, you know, why don't we actually change our approach to how we're going to make decision making in our family? I'm going to make a big confession to you. You know, I've never had a problem doing my private devotions. Never had a problem doing that. You know, Patty's done her private devotions. I've done my private devotions. We've done family devotions. But probably the most challenging thing was for her and I to just pray together. Now, maybe you guys have no problem with that, but that's been a big problem. And and later on, I'm going to tell you, one of the things that I discovered was that that was really bothering Patty. And we had a long discussion. And, you know, all of a sudden now, we're just spending a lot more time praying together, talking about things in our prayer time. And I'm going to say one thing. When you start doing that, it's far easier to make decisions because you're doing it together. And we're going to talk a little bit about what husbands need to do to help facilitate this relationship. It says here, uh, to be Sarah's daughter is to be a joint heir of promise and the honor given to her and to Abraham. Abraham. He's talking about here, this is how godly women in the past operated. They, they had a gentle spirit. They, they, they didn't come across uh, in a harsh sort of way. He goes on to say, uh, what happens when the husband's asking the wife to do something immoral or illegal? Well, I don't think you need to submit to him then. I think he's outside of his authority bounds. You know, that's, Some people have gone to that extreme. But on the other side, what happens when the husband's asking for something and maybe you don't agree with them? And I think this is an important lesson. Can I just stop here and say this for all of us? And this transcends just women and husbands. This transcends us even to our political leaders. What happens when they ask us to do something that's neither illegal or immoral and we don't agree with them? We have a different opinion. And because we're living in this democratic process, we just act like we don't need to listen. But you know what we're actually helping facilitate in our cultures today? And I'm watching it around the world. We're creating anarchy. We're, just, we're, we're in a state of rebellion. But we don't realize that when we rebel against those that, that God puts in authority, what we're actually doing is rebelling against God, and we think that we're right. Folks, it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to disagree with people. It's okay wives to disagree with your husbands. There's nothing wrong with that. that. God gave you a brain. It's okay to share your viewpoint, but at the end of the day, you know what? The Bible says we need to learn how to submit. This is a radically countercultural concept, and yet it'll bring harmony in the relationship. And guess what? Husbands, if you make a stupid decision, you're not listening to your wives, and all of a sudden, it's a bad decision. You're going to live with, you're going to feel bad because you're going to live with the consequences that you made this person that you love suffer with you. You know, I'm going to just say the big decisions. I I don't know. By the grace of God, early in our marriage, I just made a decision. I wasn't going to make significant decisions without talking to Patty. And we've had a partnership all of these years. And We've sat down and talked about it, and if we've made the wrong decision, the beautiful part is we've made them together, and we've suffered together. We've been unified with that decision-making process. So it's not like I just go out and do my thing, and then I just say, hey, you've got to submit to me. And I've never used the submit card on her. I'm going, hey, the Bible says you have to submit to me. I've never played that card. Because I think if you have to play that card, that just tells me you're not that great of a leader, husband. As a matter of fact, in our church family, we should be able to listen to the counsel of other people. You know, I don't always get it right. Are you, how many here can say I, every decision I've ever made in life was right? Anybody here can say that? No, no hands have gone up. So sometimes it's wise on our parts to listen to the people around us because they're going to be affected. That's why in our church, you know, we make decisions as leaders in our church. A lot of times I have an idea, but when I go into a meeting now, over the years I've learned this, Sometimes it's just good to go in with a seed idea and let the leaders in the group share their concerns, you know. When I was a brand new pastor, you know, I always used to have all these great ideas. I'd go into the meeting and I tried to figure out all the ways I could negate all of their arguments, right, so we could move in this direction. And then one day, one of our elders came to me and said, you know, pastor, one of the problems with your approach is you, we, you don't really need us because you've got it all figured out. Ouch. <laughs> so, I started realizing instead of bringing the whole car in, I just bring the, you know, the drivetrain in, you know, just the foundation. I say, well, this is something we need to consider, and I let the team build the car. And what I discovered over the years is that what left the room was far greater and better than what I had in mind initially because we had the cooperative wisdom of a group of sharp people. And I believe that that's true in marriage that we have that kind of an understanding that we can do this together. So the second area of enhancing your marriage is in the area of appearance. Now, I'm not suggesting that Peter's saying that you neglect yourself. He's not suggesting that whatsoever. As a matter of fact, people have read this text so wrongly in the past. He says here that, he says, um, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. You know, preachers have actually preached against this stuff. That's not what Peter's saying, guys. It's not that he's saying don't wear jewelry. He's not saying that don't make your hair up really nice or don't wear clothes or fine clothes. You know? (laughs) Yeah, good thing, huh? No, he says, rather, he's saying, instead of focusing on the outside so much, try working on the inside. He said, this is where you need to focus on beauty because the beauty on the inside is unfading, you know, I like to say that, you know, you're going to look 30-some-odd years old all your life, but that's not what happens, you know? How many older people look at yourself in the mirror and you go, what happened to the young guy, you know? I can relate to that, you know? Like, I'm, I'm looking older all the time, I get it. That's going to happen. That's the inevitable, right? But I'll tell you what never fades. If you're creating an unfading beauty, what's the unfading beauty talking about here? A gentle and quiet spirit, you know? And, you know, how many know it's difficult to be around people who are always having an emotional crisis? Come on. Hello? Right? You know, the moment you say something, a flood of tears start coming, you know, or, or somebody starts screaming at you. And you're just going, wow, that's really difficult to deal with. So if you want to you become beautiful, work on the inside. That's what Peter's saying. Develop that gentleness, you know, learn how to control your emotions. It's getting quiet in here. I heard the guys saying amen. (laughs) Guys, your turn's coming, I know. Ladies, just relax, They, they get their chance in a minute. Let me move on to the third area of responsibility. And that's for a Christian wife to enhance her marriages and her attitudes. I want to just say this. Submission is an attitude of the heart. You know, here it says in verse 6, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You know, they used to do in the marriage vows to love and obey. Boy, they got rid of the word obey in a hurry. You know, that's not kosher. You know, I'm not going to obey him. Who does he think he is? We're equal. See, that's where our mindsets are at. Let me just point out something. Obedience is just, you know... A minor expression. I've already told you about the little girl that was obeying outwardly, but inwardly she was rebelling. You see, it's an attitude of submission. It's an attitude. It's the attitude of, you know what, I don't always have to get my way. I've made my point known. I'm relaxed. It really comes down to this can I trust God? You see, when you and I as believers say, oh, I'm trusting in Jesus. That's a nice statement, but are we really doing it? What happens when someone's asking you to do something that's neither illegal nor immoral, and you don't want to do it? But they're an authority figure. We're having a problem with that in this culture today. I'm just flat out say it. And I'm going to say a lot of marriages are having a problem with that because how many know you have to be a team, and you have to be in partnership, and you have to work together. And you know what? As a wife... You know what? You could be supportive of your husband. You could actually, you know, a quiet and gentle spirit is going to do more to move things in a healthy, biblical way than a demanding, nagging wife. Just being honest. You're not going to be as effective. Because after a while, and I've noticed as a parent, how many parents you've seen them disciplining their kids? Well, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to do something about it. And then they repeat it again, and then they repeat it again, and they never do anything about it. Do you know what happens to children that are hearing that kind of threatening behavior? They tune out because they know there's no consequence. See, I see parents doing this all the time, and I see a whole bunch of kids totally ignoring their parents because, you know what, it would have been better for the parent to have said it one time, to explain to the child why they need to behave this way, and when the child knowingly violates what the parents have said, there was a consequence, and then they kept reinforcing the consequence, until so finally the child understands, I shouldn't do that, and stops doing it when the parent says so. But we're living in a culture today where we're making a lot of noise, and there's very little response. That's what I'm noticing. Okay, let me move on to the second point. The husband needs to develop a considerate attitude. When a husband is concerned and is understanding toward his wife, a lot of difficulties never occur. Okay? Now, I think it eliminates a lot of misunderstandings. Do you know what the greatest need a woman has in her life? Guys, this is going to shock you. The greatest need a woman has in her life is the, to know that she's loved by her husband. You know, it's, and I, I, you know, I always read these funny anecdotes, right? The guy said, you know, my husband never tells me he loves me. He said, well, listen, I told her 38 years ago when we got married, I love her. And he says, if I change my mind, I'll let her know. <laughs> you know? Come on, guys. Do you know the greatest need a woman has is to be constantly reassured that you love her and that you express that to her and you tell her that? That's important. Hey, guys, let me ask you a question. How many guys here want to have the respect and esteem from your wife? You want your wife to say, man, you're an amazing guy. Of course you need to hear that once in a while, right? I mean, if you thought you were just slugging it out and going through all kinds of stuff and your wife never appreciate anything you ever did, after a while you'd quit trying. You see what I'm trying to get at? We need to begin to communicate in such a way that people get it. Now, one way to dis- to express this Love. I mean, it's another thing where a guy says, I love you, I love you, I love you, but then totally doesn't hear what his wife is saying. That's not love. As a matter of fact, it says here in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 7, he says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. As the weaker partner. So if she's the weaker partner, this just tells me that we're weak, too. Because before God, we're all weak. And as heirs with you of the grace of life, so that nothing hinders your prayers. Peter relates how we are to show consideration uh, as a husband, as he's living with his wife. And it's more than just living at the same address. And it's more than just providing physical needs in the home. Do you know one of the greatest problems I think that happens in marriage is there's a lack of emotional connectedness that emerges. You know, I remember years ago, I was at a pastor's conference, and I was listening to one of the senior pastors, the older pastors in our conference, and he was speaking a sermon uh, on, the, on the life of uh, Abraham. And in that story in Genesis, God comes to Abraham, and he asks Abraham a very interesting question. Where is your Sarah? Well, Sarah was in the tent... There, like the tent had a curtain in between, and she was in the next room. Obviously, she was eavesdropping on the whole conversation. But he says to Abraham, "Where is your Sarah?" Abraham goes, "God, are you got to be kidding me?" She's right over in the next curtain over here. Like, yeah, he knew where she was physically, but did he know where she was emotionally? Did he know where she was spiritually? Was he hearing what she had to say in her life? You know, what's really sad is when a marriage degenerates down to two strangers living in the same house, and there's no connectedness, there's no partnership, there's no emotional relationship happening. As a matter of fact, the King James says it this way, likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. And Wayne Gruden, who's a New Testament scholar, says the knowledge Peter intends here may include any knowledge that would be beneficial to the husband-wife relationship. Knowledge of God's purposes and principles for marriage. Do we really take that seriously? Do you know what God's trying to do when he puts you and I together? I'm gonna give you a whole number of things he's trying to do. Number one, he's trying to show the culture uh, what a relationship with God looks like. This oneness relationship. Now, how many know that the gospel is the ministry of what? Reconciliation. We are able to get along with each other. We're able to love each other. But what happens when we're not getting along with each other and then we're tearing each other up and eventually we're hurt and we're wounded and we're emotionally scarred and we become bitter? It says in Colossians chapter 3, it says, Husbands, do not be bitter towards your wife. And why do you think people get a divorce? They didn't start that way. Listen, when people start dating and they, you know, connect with each other and they're relating to one another and they fall in love with each other and they want to marry each other, every young couple that's come to me, they have love in their eyes. I'm just going to be honest. They want to be married. But then eventually it deteriorates and degenerates. So how does that happen? Well, there's misunderstanding, miscommunication. And for a lot of guys, what happens is we get caught up with work. We get consumed with making our career happen, providing for our family, and a lot of marriages fall apart, and we're saying, hey, I'm doing my part of the bargain. You know what was really shocking? Here I am, a pastor of a church. Years ago, my wife did this to me. I'm driving down the road. Our church is really growing. I mean, it was flourishing, and she said to me one day, how would you like this conversation? She said, if something happened to you tomorrow, the only thing I'd miss is the paycheck. That's a pretty indicting remark and actually it got my attention because at that point i realized i was putting all my energy into ministry and i was investing very little energy into my home and i'm going to just speak to you guys the most important, at the end of the day what does a profit a man if he makes a million dollars or in my case wins the world but he loses his family in the process that would be stupid so, I mean, I had to reprioritize my time and energy and start focusing in on making sure I knew where Patty was at emotionally. I'm not saying I always did this perfectly. You already know I haven't because I've been telling you all along. I'm learning the process. So I'm speaking from practical experience here, you know. And we've had, a, I would say, a pretty good marriage. We get along really good, you know. But I'm just telling you, these are important things to consider in your life. You know, do we know what our wife's desires are, her goals or frustrations? Do we have a knowledge of her strengths and her weaknesses uh, in the physical, emotional, and spiritual realms? I think that's powerful. I mean, if you really sat down and said, hey, tell me where you're at? And, and here's what I'm going to say to you that I've discovered over the years. The people you pray with, you bond with. And how many know when you're praying, it really it reduces you because you're both before the throne of God. You're at the same platform, and you have needs, and you're both, you know, it, it move, moves away from the intimidation, you know. Because when I was a young pastor, see, people say, you know, I'm really intimidated by you. And I'm going, why are you intimidated by me? But people can be intimidated if you are, have a relative level of competence, or they're intimidated if you have knowledge, or they're intimidated, you know, by different things but listen people are not intimidated by us when they recognize we're a fellow struggler on this journey of life and that they 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 can connect with you and they go listen he gets it he understands he's he's with us he's part of the the, the, the human condition and he's a fellow struggler and he's sharing so i'm i'm not sharing these things to make myself look terrible in your sight that's not my goal my goal is to make you to realize that it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, how proficient you are, how much you've, you know, got it together in some areas, you can have it really untogether at your home, and that's where it really matters, that's what I'm trying to tell you, you know, because I thought to myself, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if I'm laying on a deathbed, you're not going to be standing around my bed, there will be my wife and they'll be my children, And at that point, it'll be important to me to know that I did the best I could because in the eyes of God, the way I'm treating these people that are the closest to me are actually how God sees how I'm really loving and treating him. And so if I'm busy taking care of everybody else's problem, but I'm neglecting my own problems at home, then I'm totally missing the point. And so for some of you today, I'm hoping this is a wake-up call, that you start realizing, you know what, I need to shift some of my energies, you know, so what if I make less money? At the end of the day, you can't take it all with you anyways. And like I said a while ago, years ago, I said, you know what happens to all the stuff that you're accumulating? It all ends up in the landfill anyways. And what are you working for, the landfill? You know? And that's the truth. You know, become an archaeologist. You know what? They like finding the landfill because it tells them what people were into. You know, that's a big bonus for those guys, but, you know, who's working for the landfill? I want to make sure that I've invested my life and I'm pouring it out in the right directions. And I'm pouring it out in my, the life of my wife, who, who you know, graciously has walked with me for almost 42 years. That's a long time, you know? And, you know, I'm going to say something that's going to encourage you. When you're young, you think... You know, are we always gonna have these difficulties? Not if you learn what I'm teaching you today, that you learn how to submit and be more gentle and more more humble and, and more considerate and more caring and you invest energy into that relationship, I can guarantee you your marriage is gonna get better, it's gonna get sweeter, it's gonna get nicer. Uh, You're going to walk together through life. You're going to share memories together. It's such a beautiful thing. I'm encouraging you with this. Think about it. I have a grown daughter who is up here singing with my son-in-law. It was so encouraging. I have beautiful grandkids. We share this amazing life together. It's an awesome thing, guys. I'm trying to tell you, this is where you need to spend your energy. Amen? Amen. You You know what I told my wife when she said that to me? I said, I'll quit tomorrow. I'll quit my job, to, this, this ministry tomorrow because I want you to know maybe I had the wrong priority but you are more important to me than the ministry and I tried to convey that to my children. I didn't want them to think that this church was more important to me to, than they were and even though I'm, I work hard and I'm busy and I'm involved in many people's lives, you know what? I always want to convey to Patty and my children and my grandkids that they're more important to me than anything else. And you've got to spend time to do that. You've got to show them that that's true. It's about getting a balance. Secondly, well, what happens when we don't do this is that when we don't value the person we're with, it either develops a growing hostility or it creates a sense of self-depreciation and a diminishment of themselves. You know, what you want is to build a person up. You want to build your spouse up. You want them to thrive because, you know, when you do that, you're actually doing a great favor to yourself. I'm being honest. Secondly, husbands are to show consideration by treating their wives with respect. We must never allow contempt to develop in our minds towards this person that we're married to. Listen to this. Frances Clagsburn, in her book, Married people staying together in an age of divorce. She interviewed 87 couples who had been married 15 years or more. And she was trying to identify the factors that had enabled these marriages to survive and thrive in a time. And this was written years ago when the, the divorce rate is just, it's escalated, you know. And you know what she said? Respect turned out to be the key element. It's not the same as admiration, Dr. Alexandra Simons, associate clinical professor of psychiatry at the New York University School of Medicine, says when you fall in love, you admire the other. You look up to someone much the way a child idealizes a parent. Such romantic admiration thrives and even depends on the illusion that he or she is perfect for you. And that's why it doesn't last. You come to see that the person you're married to isn't exactly what you expected, you know? You know? That's exactly what happens. You start realizing you're married to another person that's got issues and difficulties. You're, you're not, you know, we can, and it, it shatters people. I remember one time talking to a young guy, you know, and he said, uh, this is what my wife should be like. And he's giving me all the characteristics of what a wife should be like. And I said, I could go down the another side of that list and give you what a husband should be like, but I bet you you're not that. I said, you know what the problem that you have? You're married to a fantasy, not a reality. Well, I just tried to tell them, you know, get a reality check here, buddy. You want to be married to a fantasy. That's not what it's about. It's about learning to love an imperfect person. Hey, how many are glad that God loves you? I got my hand up. I already know I'm an imperfect person. Thank God he forgives me. Thank God that God's a forgiving person. Amen? How many know that what happens when you are learning to respect a person Uh, she says, we're going to have people, we have difference of personality, approaches to life, different ways of doing things, and now that real respect has a chance to develop. You know, Charles Swindoll admitted, you know, he's a very famous preacher, he just said, you know what I was trying to do for the first 10 years? Make my wife just like me. Isn't that, how many think that's scary? I want her to have all the same viewpoints. I want her to think just like I do. Sometimes we have conflict because we think differently. Maybe that's good we think differently. You know, you're not marrying a clone, right? You're marrying somebody that's different than you, has a different background, different temperament, different approach. Actually, that person's helping complete you. That's what was designed. But sometimes it creates friction, right? They're different. And you're going, What's wrong with this person? They're not like me. Isn't that a good thing? They're making you more. They're adding a whole side of you that what didn't exist before. They're adding a whole new way of looking at life. They're, they're on a whole different frequency. They're rounding us out, you know. That's why it's important to be willing to be corrected. You can try and change your mate into your fantasy, but for the marriage to last, you must agree to disagree, learning to let the other person be who they are for respect is between peers whenever we put someone else down it sends the message that the other person has no worth. Good marriages nurture each other's self-esteem. Respect then is the appreciation of the separateness of the other person, of the ways in which he or she is unique. These things take time to discover, to accept, and finally to appreciate. Value the person God put into your life. And please get away from this idea. There's a perfect person out there. That's the worst damaging thing that's going on. I hate that word soulmate. You know, that's a Hollywood fantasy. Oh, I got a soulmate out there. Scrap it. The person you're married to is your soulmate before Almighty God. And God is going to use this relationship to help you become a better Christian. Respect is the art of love by which married couples honor what is unique and best in each other. Wow. You know, it says here that in verse 7, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know, you, you know why what I've discovered over the years is that men who diminish their wives really don't love themselves. The problem is inside of you guys, not them. Getting real quiet in here. You see, the Bible says in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself want me to tell you how powerful this is. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you even love yourself? Do you even like yourself? You know, this is what, I have this conversation so many times with people. Well, pastor, I messed up. Okay. Did you ask God to forgive you? Oh, absolutely. Now, the next question I always have to ask, did you forgive yourself? Well, I'm having a harder time with that. Well, are you greater than God? Well, no. Did God forgive you? I don't know. No, no. What does the Bible say? If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let me ask the question. Did God forgive you? Well, the Bible says so. I said, did God forgive you? See, how many can tell I've had this conversation? Did God forgive you? Person goes, well, it says so. I said, no, God forgave you because this is his word and he doesn't lie. And he's told you, I forgive you. So you need to hear it this morning. God forgives you. Okay, now let me ask you a question. If God forgives you, how come you can't forgive yourself? Are you greater than God? Well, no. Forgive yourself. Get over yourself. Get beyond yourself. Move on. Get off of it. And I'm telling you this morning, you and I need to learn how to love ourselves because if we can't figure out how to love ourselves, how are we going to love anybody else? Is that making sense to you? Get that in our heads. The moment you say, you know what? I'm actually, you know, I don't hate myself. Can I improve? Of course, anyone can improve, but I can live with myself. I've been doing it for a long time now. And where I don't like something about myself, I say, God, by your grace, help me to straighten out in that area. Help me to figure this out. Help me to get better in that area. Is that a good prayer? And instead of trying to change Patty, I gave up a long time ago. I don't even try that trick, you know? I'm working on me. I've been working on me so long, I just go, man, it just seems like, you know, this is a forever case in my life. Let God work on her. Can I just say this? You'll never change your spouse. It's impossible to do it. I remember one lady came in one day, she says, Pastor, I've been married to this person for over 40 years. I've been trying to change him, and it's nothing that's not working. I said, maybe that wasn't your job, (laughs) you know? As to, I have a, how many think I have an amazing job? It's so much fun talking to people. Anyways, why don't we stand as we close here? How many here today say, I just discovered I may have to work on me? How many figure that? I may have to work on me. How many discover I have to stop working on my spouse? Anybody figure that out now? How many are figuring that out? Stop working on your spouse. Don't even worry about them. You just gotta work on yourself. I'll, I'll make you this guarantee, if you stop working on your spouse and you start working on yourself and asking God to help you, you're gonna have a better marriage. That's the guarantee. I want you to go try this for the next four or five months and just say, Pastor, I stopped working on my spouse, I've been working on me for four or five months, I've been identifying things that I want God to see help me to grow in, and I've actually, I'm actually listening to what you just said this morning. Wives, what did you hear this morning? I got to lay down my rights, right? Did you hear that? How many heard that? I got to stop nagging. That's not working, right? I'm working on an inward beauty, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Ladies, that's your goal. I gave you an assignment. Work on that. Guys, how many here have to say, you know what I have to do? I got to learn to be more considerate. Come on now. I need to, I have to find out where my wife's really at. I need to sit down and we need to talk. And I need to say, honey, tell me where you know where where we're at and what can i do to make life better for you i want to be considerate and don't become defensive if that's how she feels she could be wrong doesn't matter that's how she feels hello guys that's how she feels you better listen and you guys do this assignment i tell you your marriage is going to change I'm making you a 100% guarantee you start practicing the Word of God. It's going to change your relationships. So, Father, I thank you for the patience of my wonderful church family. I thank you that they're hearing these words. And now I pray give us the strength to implement the Word of God. Help us not just to be hearers of the Word but doers of it and to obey it. And, Lord, to see relationship transformation in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave.